Today we're going to talk about a hero, and I can't think of a better person to talk about being a hero than as, as Gideon. And uh, just a few moments, we'll, we're going to take a peek into his life. But uh, guys, those of you that served and are serving, we thank you so much. We do not take that for granted, and we appreciate that. Uh, before uh, we get into our talk, I want to share with you just a couple quick updates. If you have not had an opportunity to grab a bottle for the Care, Preg- Care Pregnancy Center, Life, what is it called? <laughs> Care Pregnancy you guys don't know. I could call it anything I want to. Kind of. They changed the name. That's why I'm kind of confused. Is it Care Pregnancy Center? We'll go with that. Um, if you haven't had an opportunity to grab Care Pregnancy Center, if you, it takes me a minute. Just you know, there we go. Well, I'm looking at this one. It's black. So. Um, if you if you um, had not had an op- we got bottles left. Would you please grab a bottle in the back of the uh, uh, on your way out? Even if you've already grabbed one, could you could we get those taken care of so that we can uh, show our support to them and then have it back by Father's Day? And uh, we will uh, we definitely appreciate that. Um, as far as camping is concerned, if you look around, we got some campers, right? I've lived in Michigan long enough to know when the end of May hits, bye-bye, everybody, right? Um, weather starts turning. But we do have a couple really cool uh, camping opportunities. Uh, there's one that's a little bit more church-wide. And uh, if you just check out your program for the details on that, or if you want to call the office, we can give you more details on that. And then the second one is for junior and senior hires, I believe, is the or middle school. Check the program for details on that. But let me just give a, a quick shout-out to this. Um, this is at Camp Machindo, and there is a really, um, the people who have been putting this camp on, it is a dynamic camp, and so if you have some junior hires or some kids in that age, please encourage them to go. The other cool thing about this is we do have an endowment uh, program here at the church, so the church literally pays half of the tuition or registration or whatever they call it. So please encourage your child or someone you know to, to attend that. It, it, it will be a fantastic time, but those are a couple opportunities, and as always, please continue to check out the uh, stuff in the uh, program and on our website and things like that, because there's always something happening and going on that's, that's, that's uh, uh, neat, you need to be a part of, so please check that out. As I shared with you uh, just a few minutes ago, we're going to be talking about Gideon. Again, we're in the, the big story, the story, and, and, and we're kind of a, or a series, and we're kind of a series within that. We're taking a look at some of the uh, things we kind of skipped over uh, to, 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 as we looked at the big picture. And Gideon's one of those guys I bet every single one of us has heard of in here and, and his life, but I can't think of a better person to talk about a hero is be, uh, than Gideon because Gideon um, went through this process to become the hero. When we look at his life, he was not the hero uh, to begin with. And, and again, if you, even if you've heard this story, would you please just don't check out, kind of lean into it because his life is one, and I've actually done this talk before here. Uh, I just think it's a great, I, I think it's a great thing to be reminded of constantly that that process that God takes us through that takes us from someone that, that, that may not see ourselves as a hero, and as God takes us through his process, we become that hero. And, and essentially, it's what we're all called to believe, be as believers. We're living out of our God-created potential, our God-created identity. And that's what we see with Gideon's life. When we first look at Gideon, he is definitely not a hero. He is hiding in a wine press. He is uh, threshing wheat to make enough food to, you know, for his family, to eke out a living for his family. Uh, what's taking place is the Israelites are under major oppression by uh, the 
Midianites. The Midianites came in and described them as like a swarm of locusts. They set up camp. There's hundred. They're 135,000 strong, and they're literally literally demoralizing Israel, the nation. Israel had fallen to, as we're going to look at, Israel had fallen to sin, and God was using the Midianites to to cripple them. This was during the time of the judges. And so as this is taking place, it literally drives the Israelites into caves. It drives the Israelites into into hiding, into wine presses where we find Gideon. Everybody's scared. The nation is oppressed, uh, or uh, literally... Uh, spiritually, socially, economically bankrupt. I mean, they are at the bottom. They're at the end of their rope. And so that's where we find this story, the context in which we find this story, and we find Gideon, and God's saying, Gideon, I want to use you. And I want you to turn with me to uh, Judges chapter 6. I'm going to throw some verses up here, but then I'm going to refer to some verses that's not, that won't be on the screen. But in Gideon, or Gideon, in, in Judges chapter 6, it gives us this story. I want to share with you the end of the story first, and then we're going to go back and look at the process. We find Gideon is a coward. He goes through this process that we're going to talk about today, and then on the back side of this process, God uses him as a hero. The story goes, and you've heard this story, uh, they're up against 135,000 of these Midianites. God says, I'm going to send you and an army out. So he tells Gideon specifically what to say, and so Gideon goes out, and he he shouts out to Israel and he says, I need men to step up and I need them to fight. And so it says that 32,000 people step up. 32,000 men, Israelites, step up to say, we are willing to fight. And so God looks at Gideon and says, Gideon, I want you to tell them, or, or Gideon, or I should say, God says to Gideon, you got too many guys. Now, if you were Gideon, I think out of our humanness, every single one of us would think, okay, 32,000 and 135,000, how in the world do we have too many guys? Right? But God says this, I want everybody to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I'm the one that won this battle. And so he tells Gideon, he says, I want you to take these guys, and when you're standing before these 32,000 men, I want you to tell them, if anybody's afraid, go home. And so he comes out and he says, if anybody's afraid, go home. And it says that 22,000 went home. This is where I want you to kind of lean into this with me, okay? I'm going to give you an easy test here, all right? And it'll get progressively harder. 32,000. 22,000 leave. How many do we have left? 10,000. I'm proud of you with that confidence. First couple services, they're, you know, it's kind of like, I know he's tricking me. This isn't, you know. I know 22 from 32 is 10, but somehow this is going to be wrong. Okay? You're correct. It left 22,000 men. You were part of the first service. You should not speak. You heard this. You weren't as confident in the first service, were you? (laughs) Oh, okay, a couple of you over there, all right. I apologize, please. Anyhow, uh, so we got 22,000 men left. God says that's still too many. 22,000. I'm not going off my notes, man. Okay, this story is just getting more fascinating, you know. You guys need to read this story for yourself because I don't, I, don't I don't know how this is going to come out, okay? I really don't. Okay, so 22,000 leave, which leaves 10,000. God says that's still too many. 
Okay, 10,000 against 135. So Gideon comes out and he says, or God tells him, I want you to take them in. I want you to take them down to the, to the stream or whatever and have them get a drink. Whoever gets down on all fours and kind of laps up like a dog, I want, I want you to tell them to go home. Whoever kind of holds their, holds their weapon and kind of scoops it up and looks around to make sure, you know, just kind of see what's happening, I want them to stay. And so he takes his army down there and he starts weeding out the ones who lap up like a dog, and the Scripture says, out of 10,000, 9,700 lap like a dog. Wouldn't you like to say, what in the world, morons? You know? It's like, 9,700 leave, so 10,000, 9,700 leave, leaves? 300, exactly. So you got 300 men left, and God says, okay, it's time. It's time to go up against 135, or 135,000, which is about 450 to 1. I can't imagine what it would have been like. If you were part of the 300, uh, and guys, come on, let's be honest here. This is where we start looking at the leader like, does this guy really know what he's doing, right? We start questioning, or at least they do. I know you don't, but they start questioning, right? And so they have 300, and God says, I'm going to use this 300 to defeat 135,000. And on top of that, God says this, I'm going to give you an unconventional warfare. I'm going to give you a clay pot. Uh, I'm going to give you a clay pot. I'm going to give you a horn and a candle, okay? This sounds like a vacation Bible school type thing. And so they go out. Gideon tells them what to do, and, lo- and what happens is, is, is God shows up. They blew the trumpets, they made their statements, they broke the pots, the light begins to shine, and the next thing you know, the Midianites wake up, and there's a psychological warfare that takes place, and the Bible says that over 100,000 soldiers were killed that day, while the Israelites just stood there and watched. That is an amazing story. And it all, took, it all started with Gideon, who was a no-name coward that was found in the wine press, like everybody else that was found in the wine press, hiding from the Midianites. It started with a guy like that where God says, Mighty warrior, I'm going to use you. Let's look at this story. It says, The angel of the Lord came, sat down on the oak that belonged to Joash, and it said where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in the wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. This story is really a story. What I want to look at today is about someone becoming a hero, and how some of us are sitting in here this morning, and God's saying, I want you to be a hero. And, and I, was, I will go as far as to say this. I, you know, yes, hero, yes, but I think it's more God saying, I want you to live out of your God-created identity. I have created you to be a certain way. I have created you out of my own, you know, out of my own, out of my own, who I am. I've created you to be this person. I'm asking you to be faithful and obey and be that person. I want to share with you four things that I think took place through Gideon's life that begin to transform him from that scared individual into the, into the leader that had this complete implicit trust on God. The first one is this. He began to truly see himself. God truly sees you. God doesn't just see you. 
but he sees how he created you. He sees so much more than you see. When God starts to work in our lives, the first thing he wants to do is for us to get a new view of ourselves. For some of us sitting here this morning, the reason we're not living out of our God-created identity is because we're stuck on seeing ourselves in this condition of who we are. We're not seeing us the way God created us. We look at ourselves through the lenses of all these other things that doesn't, that doesn't give us a clear picture of our God-created identity. And when that happens, we never venture out of our comfort zones. He wants us to get a true glimpse of who we truly are, how He truly created us. He wasn't looking at Gideon for who he was. He was looking at Gideon of his potential, of how he created him. He sees us even when we don't. For Gideon, he, as I shared with you, he was anything but a mighty warrior. He was hiding. And then Gideon starts in this whole process. God comes and says, I'm going to use you. I see your potential. I see the way you've been created. And Gideon starts the excuses. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hang on a second. Do you not know who I am? Have we not been introduced? Do you not know the family I come from? Do you not know the tribe, the clan? Do you not know where the village where I come from? You've got the wrong person. And that's what happens for many of us when we don't see ourselves through the lenses in which, through God's eyes, the way God created us. We, when we see ourselves through human eyes, we look at ourselves and we, realize, we start putting up all this list of why we can't do what God is calling us to do. And God basically looked at Gideon and said, you think you're a weakling, but you're a mighty man of valor. I didn't create you to be a weakling. I created you to be a man of God. I've created you to be a man of valor. And so Gideon has this discussion with him. You know, who am I? And all this other stuff. Excuses, you know, excuses. And that's the reason why so many of us miss God's plan in our lives is because we just don't see ourselves the way God sees us. We can't see ourselves as a dynamic Christian. We can't see ourselves as this person that's going to advance the kingdom and have this spirit that Benaiah had last week, this unstoppable spirit, because we look at ourselves and we see ourselves influenced by other things versus God. And the greatest way that we limit God is by limiting Him by saying, I can't do that. Now, there is some truth to that. We can't do that. You can't do that. But when God is calling you to do that, God's saying, I'm going to do it through you. Notice God's response after Gideon goes through these excuses just like you and I do at times. Verse 14, the Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian's hands. Am I not sending you? God's response to Gideon's insecurity is the same response he has to ours. The three statements, I'm sending you, I'm going to be with you, you can't fail. Guys, when we live in the middle of God's will, we can't fail. By human terms, by human definition, by human, our humanists, the way we like to measure things, the way we like to look at stuff, the way we like to conjure things up in our minds, absolutely it may look like a failure. But if we are right smack dab in the middle of God's will and we are being faithful and we are obeying, you cannot fail regardless of what someone else is telling you because you're living in the will of God. You can't fail. When you're doing God's will, you cannot be a failure. When you're doing God's will, you cannot be considered a failure because God's will is perfect. Gideon began to see that. And he did. The second thing that happened is that God desires to encounter you. 
He desires to encounter, you know, he desires you to encounter him. Gideon had this personal experience with God. He gets to know God. God gets to know him, if we could say it like that too. He shows his face to him. He shows his face to us. God wants this personal relationship with us. It's when life becomes more than religion, but it becomes a relationship with God. Some of us were going through the religious rituals and practice we're going through the steps and it's dry it's boring it's not exciting we're never going out of our comfort zone we're never being and living out of that full identity but of the way god created us to be and 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 that isn't the way it's designed god's design is for us to encounter him and to and to allow him to live in and through us and when we do we are absolutely transformed And there's times where God does wait for us. In this situation, we see Gideon where he looks at God and he says, I'll be back. He says, just hang on a second, I'll be back. And so he goes and prepares a meal. He brings it back. This angel of the Lord consumes it supernaturally. And Gideon has this moment where he realizes he's in God's presence. And... Verse 22, it says, When Gideon realizes that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Ah, sovereign Lord, I have seen the the angel of the Lord face to face. But God said to him, Peace, don't be afraid. You're not going to die. So Gideon built an altar, and he called it, The Lord is Peace. And it stands there to this day. Gideon had this personal experience with God, and it says he made an altar. Now, if you've grown up in the church, we use that word a lot, altar. What is altar? What does altar really mean? In Gideon's situation, in his context, he piled up some stones. Throughout the Old Testament, and let me finish that thought. What does an altar represent in the Old Testament? It's this personal commitment. And Gideon took this altar and he named it something. He named this altar that he built, the Lord is peace. In Hebrew, it literally means Jehovah Shalom. He's getting ready to go into battle and the world is falling apart. It's total chaos around him. And yet he says, the Lord is peace. Throughout the Old Testament, when people encountered God in a very significant personal way, not this, not this way through kind of stories and stuff, but literally had this moment. Jacob wrestles with the angel of God. Joshua, when they crossed the river. Time and time again, when people experienced God, they would erect these monuments, and they would look to that monument, and they, every time they would see it, they would be reminded of that personal time that they literally personally encountered God. And it served one other purpose too. When their kids came along, hey, what is that? What is, what, is that, what is that altar over there? What is, that, what is that statue? Let me share with you what that statue is. That statue is when I personally experienced God. It says that when Gideon experienced God, he named that place the Lord is Peace. And if there is a guy that could look around his world and say, there is not peace right now, it's Gideon. And living in the context of all that chaos, living in the context of all that fallenness, living in the context of all that evil and all that insecurity, and all those things, Gideon was able to find a peace that superseded all things. We can relate with that, can't we? This week, we see on the news where a tornado sweeps through Oklahoma, more Oklahoma, and it hits an elementary school and children die. And I don't know about you, but when I hear stories like that, the first thing that I, comes to my mind, my first reaction is this. It's not supposed to be that way. 
That's not how things are supposed to be. Also this week, we, uh, and it's been going on for some time now, but we have a family, Jen and Eric Babcock, and some of you know them. And Jen is in, laying in hospice right now. She's 40, 41, 42, something like that. Youngest daughter being in junior high, McKenna. She's laying there dying from cancer. The family was called in yesterday morning to say, you need to come and you need to be with her because this is, it's getting there. And so I went down with the family and I walk in that room and it's heavy, obviously with emotions. And what's my first thought? It shouldn't be, it's not supposed to be this way. You know, we accept death to some degree when we get older and we reach those ages of 90 or whatever it is. You know, we look at that and even though it's hard to let go of a loved one, we look at it and at least we say, well, at least they experience the fullness of life, Right? And you look at a mom laying there that's 40, 41, with kids. And you say, this isn't right. No one, no mother, no, no father should have to bury their child. It's not right. And we're reminded on a daily basis that things aren't right. That we are living in a fallen world. That we live in the middle of chaos, but yet in the middle of that chaos, we can find this supernatural sense of peace where God is saying... Uh, Things aren't right, but I'm in control. And I'm going to set things straight. And death has been conquered. And we latch onto that. And it's when we latch onto that that we become transformed where we say, I have found peace in the midst of all this chaos. Even though it may hurt, even though we may experience this grief through sickness and death and all this other stuff, I have grabbed a hold of that chaos. Guys, let me, see, let me ask the question, have you, do you have an altar in your life? Is there a time in your life, it may, not, it may not be figurative, where you have this statue standing up or erect someplace in your yard or someplace in a physical sense. But in the recesses of your heart, is there a place where you look back and you say, I encountered God. And I continue to encounter God. And I find peace in that. Gideon found peace. And because of that, his life is transformed. Guys, can I be human for a second? There's nothing that disturbs me more is when we deal with situations like that, with the Babcocks. And then we have other things over here that are insignificant issues that we get so worked up about. They're so temporary. But we latch on to these things, and we've been talking about these things, preferences and things like that, where we become so passionate about it. Guys, we live in a fallen world. We're called to minister to one another. Maybe we need to get off of these things that we become so passionate about and begin to be the church that God has called us to be. People that find peace in Him. People that have encountered Him. People that have this, this dynamic relationship with Him that ministers to, these, to, to, to the other families within our body the, and function the way the body is supposed to function. Regardless of the circumstances around us, we're falling, you know, things are falling apart. Some of you are sitting in here this morning and you're experiencing some of that falling apartness. But there's that peace that you can have, that internal peace, that result of committing it all to God, where your religion is not religion. It is a dynamic encounter with the living God. The God 
that looked down on your life when you were yet an enemy of Him. And He says, because of my grace and my unconditional love, I want to have this, I want to have a personal love relationship with you. Him extending that grace and salvation to you and you become absolutely transformed. There's a second thing, or a third thing that happened. He, Gideon not only um, realized that God truly saw him and he began to see himself the way God saw him, has this encounter with him, but he went through a testing process. And this is the one thing that, that this whole testing process is one thing that I don't think anyone sitting in here would say, I absolutely love to be tested. I don't think there's a person in here that would say, oh, mm, I love to be tested. It's brutal, but it's part of it. The background of this story is that during this time, like I shared with you, they went through all this, the Midianites were pressing in of oppression and depression, and part of that, it was because they began to serve false gods. It was time of the judges, and the judges, there was a cyclical spiral downwards, and they would get involved in sin, and they would begin to take on other nations' gods, and God would say, no way, and he would rise up other nations to come in and, and literally lay waste to them so that, they would, so that they would cry back out to him, and he would raise up a hero such as Gideon, and so it's during this time they, they, they begin to worship other gods and he comes to Gideon and he says, he says, Gideon, I have a task for you to do. Before you do anything else, I want you to go and I want you to tear down the idol in your village. I want you to tear down that idol, the false god that's in your little village. And through that, Gideon's tested spiritually, emotionally, and, and physically. We've talked about this at great length. Idols that, that creep up in our lives. Things that become first place in our lives. This, this, these bales in our backyard. In verse 25 it says, The same night the Lord said to him, Take the second bull from your father's herd, one of seven years old, and tear down your father's altar to Baal, and cut down the Asherah. Which these were false gods. It was another god. Baal was a fertility god. It was a sexual god. And he goes, go, and I want you to tear those down. And I want you to make a sacrifice on them. And he goes on to say, Then build the proper kind of altar to the Lord. Your God. On top of this bluff and using the wood of the Asherah that you cut down after you cut down um, after the second bulls and offering. So Gideon took ten of his servants and he did as the Lord told him. God said, You gotta you gotta tear down the idols. Who are you gonna worship? And so he begins through this incident, we see three ways that God may test us. The first way is spiritually. In Exodus twenty, verse three, the very first commandment, what does God say? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. I want to be number one in your life. I deserve to be number one in your life. You shall have no other gods before me. I want complete allegiance. I want total obedience to me. I don't want any compromise. I don't want any, I don't want any leftovers. I want to be number one in your life. It's a spiritual test. What is going to be number one in our lives? Every single one of us are, is faced with that test. What is going to be number one? Is it going to be God or we're going to have this other Baal or this other idol sitting in our backyard where we bow down and worship? The second test is this, emotionally. He was, he was tested emotionally. Notice who, whose altar it was that was his dad's. It was his father's. It says that he went and he tore it down at nighttime because he's afraid of what would happen. He's afraid of his family. And so 
We're talking about confrontation here. Confrontation with tradition. We're talking about a breakdown from the past. He's saying, my family's been worshiping this way for years, and I'm going to break away from this tradition. I'm going to break away from the family curse. I'm going to be the one that stands up and says, no more. I'm not going to do this anymore the way it's been done, because it's not right. It's wrong. And so he's tested emotionally. He's literally going against everything that he was taught and influenced by his family. It's a huge emotional test that he was going through, spiritually, emotionally, and not only that, but physically. There may be a time where God calls a, a physical test to come in our lives where, he, where, where literally you know, God's using it to see how willing we are to follow directions and instructions. When you think about this, this was a risky move for Gideon. He was literally going in to tear down something that was part of the town. It was the town idol. So he goes at nighttime, and he destroys it, and he does everything that God tells him to do. And the next morning, the town comes together, and they say, what happened to our idol? What took place? Bring the person here that did this, because we're going to take his life. This was, let's not kid ourselves, this was a physical test. He could have literally lost his life. Through this whole process, he was able to begin to see who he was, how God truly created him. He encountered God in a very significant way, intimate way, and he was being tested by God spiritually, emotionally, and physically. And he passed. And it was time for him to be released to do what God was calling him to do. And God then takes his spirit of power and lays it upon Gideon. In verse 34, it says, Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Now he's ready for service. He's ready to be a leader. God says, I'm going to help you. I'm going to give you the power in your life. He promised his spirit. It was a literal reality. The secret of Gideon's life is that now he has gone from a true coward to someone who has the complete power of God upon him. The Spirit came upon Gideon, and literally in the Hebrew, it means the Spirit clothed himself with Gideon. The Spirit of God clothed himself with Gideon. That's an awesome testimony. I I hope that when I pass on, people might look at my life and say, you know what? Gail allowed the Spirit of God to clothe himself with him. It's, It's like saying, Gideon, I'm going to take over your body. And God works in the world, but He does it through people that are usable. He does this stuff through people like you and I, ordinary, common people. And all God is asking is this, will you be faithful? That's all God is asking from us. Will you be faithful? Will you obey me? Will you identify me and worship me? Will you allow me to use you in any fashion, the way I want to? I'm the one that created you, and I created you for a specific purpose. I created you, I've given you this God-created identity. Will you live out of that? That's all God is asking of us. And when we do, God, God uses us in ways that we can't imagine. And it's Him doing it, it's not us. There's an important point here, though. Power in the Christian life always comes after testing, not before. If I asked how many of you would like to have more power this morning, most of you would probably say, I want that. How many of you would like to have more power to break those habits that you're constantly struggling, struggling with? How many of you would like to have that more power to break those habits, those addictions, or whatever it may be, the power to be a stronger Christian? The path to power is always through a test. Gideon went from some scared, common person to this mighty man of God. Just like God said he was, 
clear at the beginning. This mighty warrior with valor. Valor. And so the story goes, Gideon calls the men. He goes through all of that. And they defeat the Midianites of 135,000 with 300 men with a cup with some clay pots, a candle, and a trumpet. Let me share with you in closing the application here. Some of us are sitting in here this morning and we're at that first step. There are some of you sitting in here this morning where you need to see yourselves the way God sees you. You're not a mistake. You haven't made enough mistakes in your life to disqualify you from where God's wanting to lead you and what God's wanting to do in and through you. You need to start looking at yourself the way God sees you. He created you. And stop limiting, quit limiting God in your life. God says, I see your potential. I created you, I know you. Your first step is simply to become available to Him. Some of you are sitting at the second step. You're ready to encounter God personally. And maybe you've got this religion thing going on. You're living through the rituals, but truth be known, you're bored, and this whole religion thing is not exciting whatsoever. Hey, newsflash, I agree with you 100%. Because that's not what we were created for. It's so much more than that. And when someone tries to reduce it down to that, to the rituals and, 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 and ritualistics and all these other processes and programs and stuff like that, I agree with you 100%. That's the last thing I would ever want. Because it's so much more than that. When we encounter the living God, it is so much more than that. We have, you know, some of you are sitting this morning, maybe you've never had a relationship with God where God, I'm telling you now, the Spirit of God is calling out to you. You're not here by accident. You're not sitting here by coincidence. God has brought you to this moment to say, I love you and I want to have this relationship with you. Some of you have been running from that commitment. Some of you have kind of been entertaining and courting God where God is saying, it's all or none. It's all or none. Some of you are at the third step. You're going through the testing. You're in a test. It's a test of compromise. Will you compromise what you believe? What you say you believe, it gets put to the test. Will you compromise? Some of you are going to go to work this week and you're going to be asked to compromise what you believe. What are you going to do? Some of you are at school that's going to deal with the same thing. Some of it, it, Wherever the context you find yourself, you may be presented with that test that says, what are you going to do? Are you truly going to believe what you say you believe or are you going to compromise? What is first place in your life? Is it status, career, money, things? What's going to have first place in your life? Anything that's not God that's first place is an idol. I hope you're sick of hearing that because I want to tell you, we've been talking about that a lot. But it's so easy for us as humans to fall to that. The third step is you're being tested. The fourth step, maybe you're at the fourth step. You've been trying to fight God's battles, but you really haven't been called to fight them yet. You're rearing to go. You're ready to go. You're kind of like Moses. You got, the, you got the taste of it. And now it's like, I'm going out. I'm going to lead the people. I'm going to lead the Hebrews out of Egypt. And I'm going to slay some Egyptians along the way. And God's saying, hey, yo, back here a minute. Come here. I haven't released you to go yet. And what happens is, this is what happens. You have great intentions. You have great intentions. But what happens is, when you go out before God sends you out with His power, you become frustrated. You become fatigued. You become just, you just want to give up. 
What's the use? No one else wants this. And we become discouraged. Stop. Stop. Maybe you're here this morning, you're saying, I'm wasted, I'm fatigued. God, do something, please. Hey, the good thing is God's saying, check up. Wait up. Hang on a second. When it's time, I'm going to clothe you with that specific power to do exactly what I'm what I'm asking you to do. Don't get discouraged. Trust me. This is mine. This isn't yours. I don't know where you may be in this, but as we engage with this this morning, as we close with a couple songs, I pray that you would just allow the Spirit to connect with your spirit. And, and, and guys, I say this every week, but I'm telling you, I believe it with all my heart. I believe at this point right now, this very point right now, after we've, we've heard the Word of God, the Word of God has pierced us, the Word of God has spoken to us, the Word of God has come forth, and He's wanting to do His ministry, we have an option. You can take your spirit and you can close it off and you can say, I just want to kind of get through this or you can open it up and put yourself in a place where none of us like to be and that's a place called vulnerability where we're saying, God, here I am. Are there some things that you want? What is it do you want to do? That's a scary place to be. I get that. I get that. I understand. As humans, we're all kind of, we dance around that from time to time. But I pray that maybe this would be the day you say, you know what, I'm, I, I'm done. I don't want to play this game anymore. I'm done. And you open yourself up and you begin to be transformed just like Gideon was. God's going to use you. In whatever context he chooses to use you, but he's going to use you to advance his kingdom. He's invited you to be a part of something so cool. Something that's not temporary, but something that has eternal implications. I don't know where you are this morning, but I pray that you would just put yourself in that position. As we, as I close with prayer and then as we close with a couple songs, would you do that? Father, again, I thank you for your word. And Man, when you say it, it's like a double-edged sword, we can definitely agree with that. At times it really hurts. At times it really <laughs> encourages us because we may have found some steps of victory and we're kind of celebrating, but God, wherever we're at today, wherever we are, God, we know that you know each person sitting in here. You know our spirits. And I pray that you would just find us. And I pray, God, that we would open up to you and allow right now you to minister to us. I pray that you would I pray that you would I know that you will do that. I know that's what your desire is right now. But I pray that we would be people that would do that. We would open ourselves to you. God, I pray for each person in here this morning, wherever they are. I pray that you would just minister to them, encourage them, convict them. Wherever they are, God, it's, I know that you're going to do your work. I pray that the enemy wouldn't have any freedom in this room right now whatsoever. God, we denounce him, and we don't give him any freedom at all right now. I pray that you would just do your work. And I pray that we would be your children that would invite you into our lives, allowing you to do what it is and whatever you want to do in and through us. And it's in the powerful name of your Son, Jesus Christ, that makes all of this possible. It's in His name that we pray and ask all of it. Amen.